Welcome, everyone, to this special edition of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. This is not going to be one of our normal podcasts because this is myself and Ashley Coffin, uh, who many of you may know from the Panda Network and my uh, previous Thirstcast episode, uh, as most many things I've done with her. We're beginning a new series called uh, Ethics After Dark. There's a lot of sexuality stuff that uh, she and I have gotten into in terms of the ethics about it and all the questions about it and how it's portrayed on screen and, and also getting to have some good fun thirsting about it. And we have, especially now that we're getting close to Halloween, we are both vampire fans and we are both huge fans of the TV show True Blood. Now, True Blood is kind of, uh, I was watching it with my partner recently and she described it as, oh, so this is where Game of Thrones on HBO came from. Yes. Because it's, there's no, there's not any near near in all the uh, non-consensual and the gory violence, but in terms of like sex position and like a lot of sexiness on screen happening, this is definitely that show. It's very much in the position of uh, um, uh, the Tudors, if anyone saw that show. So it's a trashy gonna, romance novel. On it is a trashy romance novel, but one that has incredibly interesting questions about morality mm-hmm. and ethics and family and vampires and like different understanding of what it means to be human. And we're just going to dive into it. And so we're going to, um, we don't have any set schedule. We might put out an episode a week. We might put out an episode every three months. Who knows? <laughs> um, but we're going to cover it with you. And if uh, it's on HBO Max, if anyone wants to watch it, we're also going to kind of, we're going to do like four episodes at a time. And so we're going to do it in chunks. And I just kind of want to give that disclaimer though. Um, uh, parents, if you've got kids with you right now, this is not the thing you want them to listen to. Not the show. Uh, I'm going to have the 18 and over only to download it. But, you know, kids, if you downloaded this, please do me a favor. I don't want your parents sending me angry emails. So turn this off and there'll be more superhero ethics coming soon, I promise. But um, (laughs) Ashley and I are going to get into Ethics After Dark right after this commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. And joining me is Ashley. Uh, a long time ago, I think it's actually where the term uh, Panda After Dark got started. <laughs> we were on the Panda Zoom chat and, and somehow people started asking us questions about like sexuality and polyamory and, <laughs> and like toys. And like you and I were answering them and we kind of joked we needed to start like Panda After Dark as like a, an advice channel. Well, this isn't going to be advice. This is going to be this is going to be an ethics episode, but we're going to talk a lot about some hotness. So, actually, there's no one else I'd rather do this with. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm so excited. I've always uh, told you and everybody, like True Blood is my favorite TV show of all time. Um, mm-hmm. I love every season, so you're going to hear me be very biased. But it's it's my favorite for so many reasons. I also feel like it was before its time a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's just. It's amazing, and I'm so excited to talk about it with you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's based on a series of books, uh, the Sookie Stackhouse books. Uh, the first season is fairly similar to the books. After that, it's more kind of books in the same world, but they go off in different directions, although a lot of references. Mm-hmm. But let's just start there, Ashley. What is it you love about this show? So I, we all know I love horror, and I love vampires, and I love all kinds of supernatural beings, and... I love sexy shows and I like drama. And this show was really everything that I love, like with a bow around it. The yeah. actors were perfectly cast. I thought the story was great. Um, you know, there's there's ups and downs, just like every show. You can tell when writers were changed or when the studio stopped giving money. But um, I feel like they this show, show is one of the only ones that all the way through does feel like a complete story for the most part. And I appreciate that. With, you know, seasons. Uh, I wish it could have gone longer. I probably wish it could have gone forever. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just handpicked for me. I totally get that. Um, it, it's a long time ago since I, I watched it for the first time. What I think, though, the order was that I'd seen The Tudors on HBO. And The Tudors is a very special TV show. Um, I am a former pastor, and so I have uh, studied a lot the history of the Protestant Reformation, especially in England. And that show actually does a very good job of exploring some interesting historical ideas about King Henry and Anne Boleyn and Jane Seymour. I love that show. Yeah, and Elizabeth and Mary. And there's just enough, like, real historical drama and great acting and passion that you don't feel bad about the fact that people are naked at least 15% on the screen (laughs) and having really steamy sex all the time. You know, um, it's like historical romance novel where there's a lot of bodices being ripped but still you get some like, you know, history thrown in. <laughs> and 
which, by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with bodice rippers, romance novels at all. Nope. Trashy romance it's fantastic. is its own thing and can be great. I worked at a Renaissance fair. I know all about the bodice rip. <laughs> yeah, smut is a fun category all itself. But Tudors, at least, was something a little different. I love vampires. I love the idea of this show. And a person I was dating at the time, uh, you know, we, I was kind of in the goth world at that point. She was as well. Um, as I said, this is going to be a very adults-centric uh, show. As I've hinted at before, I have some experience in the world of BDSM, which is something that this show goes into a lot in some ways, uh, especially in the first episode. Yeah, the first episode is raw. <laughs> yeah, Just know if you were watching the show for the first time, the first episode, like, it's very intense. It, it, it kind of calms down as the seasons yeah. progress, but they came out of it's, the gate hot, really it's hot. It's grab you by the collar thing, but it's, it's starting with a lot of the show is about the mixture of sex and violence. Mm-hmm. And... I remember being both very a. I mean, it's hot as hell. Not going to complain about that. Everybody of every gender is thirst worthy in this show, and the scenes are really Ugh. fun. But, but also, the way it was exploring the interplay between sex and violence, and the fact that, like, there are many people for whom violence and even danger can be very sexually attractive, and the, the hotness of that, but also the problems of that, and the ways that it affects people, like. It explored some very dangerous territory that I've never seen a show explore the way it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, kind of ahead of its time. A lot of shows are doing that now. And I think the show is inspiration for them. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I love about it is this show is, I think, one of the most morally gray TV shows I've ever seen. Yeah. Which anyone who knows my, my stuff on this ethics podcast, that's 100% my jam. That's what I live for. <laughs> And so much of this is just about, like, all the ethical grayness. And I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that because, you know, the show is about vampires coming out of the coffin, as it were, and all sorts of different moral responses to them and all sorts of different moral responses from the vampires. And so there's just a lot of – when I found out that you both love the show as much as I do but also wanted to dig into, like, the fun, like, ethical, moral discussions as well as talk about, you know – you and I had great conversations about sexuality, both about the, the mental and intellectual and ethical sides of it, and some fun thirst cast. And <laughs> this show is going to have it all. So I'm just super excited to be diving into this with you. Yeah, I think it's I think vampires was the perfect thing to use as the metaphor for this entire show because they embody, like they're the epiphany of sex and violence. Right. And it's, yeah, it was, it's brilliant. Like the writers, oh, I can't wait. Let's do it. Very much so. And, and I'll also just say for anybody who, You've either seen the show or perhaps as we describe the show to you over the next couple of episodes, you may notice that this seems to have some similarities to Twilight. That, as far as I understand it, I'm someone who, because I used to work in sex ed, studied those books and the movement around, like, pushing those books as a way to, and there's a literal quote, make abstinence sexy. Those books' plots are very connected to this plot. Not like connected like the same world, but I mean like there's a lot of the same story beats. Yeah. And I think that's very intentional because I think they wanted to capture the sexiness of this and grab the attention of people, but make it abstinent, um, which I have very strong feelings about pushing abstinence only, but that's a uh, search out my political career. And I talked a lot about how terrible that is, but that's another story <laughs> entirely. And if you love the Twilight books, more power to you. Just please don't support abstinence only education. Um, yeah. But so let, let's set the stage because I think the... The thing that really starts this show off is that we find out that a Japanese corporation has invented synthetic blood, and it is so close to actual blood that vampires can drink it and be just fine. Yeah. And we don't know yet, like, did this guy know that there were vampires that were real? Probably, but we don't know. But certainly once that blood goes on the market— vampires, as they say in the show, come out of the coffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's public. Everyone knows there's vampires. What, what what, for you is like when you first saw this world being built, what, what was your kind of thoughts on it? Well, I love how the show opens. It's like um, anything Louisiana because the show takes place in uh, Bonton, Louisiana, which mm-hmm. is near New, like New Orleans. So I love how it starts out and um, like True Blood's just being sold at 7-Elevens. And stuff like that. So it's interesting to see how, like, the vampires have been maneuvering around people and it's never who you expect it to be. Yet they also seem to have a government and a spokesperson because it quickly goes into newscasts with, like, religious um, communities speaking out against the vampires. And they have, like, a spokesperson 
for them. So it's established that they have their own sort of hierarchy pretty quickly, which is interesting because then you're like, did those vampires go to the Japanese to have them make it? Like, it's it's inter- so interesting to, like, try to pick apart how the idea of True Blood got started. But they don't, they just jump right into the story. Like, we have no backstory. We're, we're already in it and vampires are out of the coffin. Yeah. And, and you're right. We get that wonderful clip on CNN or some, some news channel like it in this universe where a, you know, uh, a woman who looks like any other sort of political talking head who'd go on national TV <laughs> to advocate for her cause. Nan Flanagan. Nan Flanagan is advocating for the Vampire Rights Amendment mm-hmm. because there's this push. And, and, you, and you have a church person who's like, oh, you're all of Satan. You're all devils. And she's giving this very reasonable approach of, no, no, we're fine. <laughs> and, and one thing that I love about the show is that for the first half hour or so, maybe even most of the first episode, you really get this sense of vampires as victims, that vampires are one more group in America or in the world that is oppressed and feared and misunderstood. <laughs> and they really set that up. And then also remind you, but also vampire, like there's a lot of vampires who, as they say, don't want to come out of the closet and we're perfectly happy yeah. draining humans dry and killing them and working in the shadows. They don't so want to mainstream, as they call yeah, it. they call it mainstreaming. And so it's just, it's a wonderful way of starting of, like, I feel like if the show had just said vampires are misunderstood and they're perfectly fine, it'd be very boring. Because then it's like, okay, it's a civil rights metaphor. It's fun for an episode, but where are you going with it? Yeah, But making the vampires, uh, these first four episodes, so morally complex and showing us some vampires who are just awful villains mm-hmm. and others who are kind of all over the map is just such a great way to set it up. Yeah, it's uh, – I just love it. Um, on a side note, the opening to this show is one of my favorite openings ever. I love the yeah. song and we played it at my wedding when I uh, threw my garter belt. <laughs> nice it, it is a fantastic song and it's also one of my favorite visuals because it combines it's basically all about sex and religion mm-hmm. and sex and passion and one of the things that the showrunner talked about because i heard an interview with him about this is that you have scenes of people writhing in sexual ecstasy and then you have scenes of people writhing in religious ecstasy yeah and it's really showing how similar the two are while also doing great things like showing you a black and white videotape of young boys at a KKK rally and then cutting to like an old man rocking on his porch, you know, Mm -hmm. reminding you that like conditioning, this this is rural, small town, Louisiana. And those kids who are clan rallies have grown up and are still out in the world, you know? And so that it reminds you like that the prejudice towards vampires is prejudice that's felt everywhere. It Mm -hmm. just is tying all these things together so well. Yeah. It's, um, the the analogies that they use for the vampires for you know black americans and gay americans it's it's it they do it so seamlessly right um yeah there's a wonderful scene in the first episode where uh the main heroine of the show is sookie stackhouse who is Sookie a, stackhouse sookie, uh, <laughs> the, the main vampire love of hers for the first couple seasons has a wonderful way of saying sookie sookie wonderful <laughs> But um, she is, uh, as far as what we know right now is that she basically is telepathic. She mm-hmm. has some ability to read people's minds and it gets her into trouble all the time. So she's always trying to learn to, to fight it off. And she's very drawn to vampires because she can't read their minds. Mm-hmm. So it's like peaceful and she doesn't have to, you know, know the secret things they're thinking and have to block it all out. And she can just be herself. Mm-hmm. And I love that they present her, though, as also... She knows a lot about the world, but she's wonderfully naive. Mm-hmm. And so she's way- like that in it, your perfect, innocent kind of girl. But what's right. a, unfortunate, like even with her hearing everybody's thoughts, like the people around her speaking about what you were saying in like the intro, like everyone is so horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She gets to meet some better people, but like in these first episodes, it's not people having good thoughts. And she's an attractive young woman. And a lot of men are thinking so- the things that, Men should never say out loud and probably shouldn't be thinking, but she can hear them as though they're out loud. And the women, be, the women, you know, you're serving, you're, she's gorgeous. Like Anna Paquin looks 
gorgeous throughout this entire season. And uh, yeah, just women being like, oh, you slut, you know, this and that, like, look at you, blah, blah, blah. And it's just imagine being able to hear all that horrible stuff all the time. Yeah. And, And you can see why she's so drawn to them. And at the very beginning, she starts as a person who really is that sort of like everybody's misunderstood. Everyone's got a good story. Because when a vampire walks into their bar, Merlot's, which is kind of one of the main uh, locations of the entire show, owned by her friend Sam, who we'll definitely get to in a later episode, mm-hmm. um, you know, sh- everyone has all these negative thoughts. Everyone's judgmental. And so she just goes up there, you know, pretty as you please, asks him who wants to drink, is kind of a little flirting with him, but also just kind of awed by it. Mm-hmm. But there's a wonderful scene where, where one of the other people says to her, you know, well... How can you do that? You know, they drink people's blood. They attack people. And she rattles off two pretty common myths about black people and Jews, you know, as a way of saying, like, hey, listen, there's these horrible stereotypes that are clearly untrue about these other groups. Why is it okay for you to think those things about vampires? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's kind of your take on that, given that, you know, we know from just having lived in the culture, but also we see in the show that some of the fears about vampires are actually correct. What, what do you kind of think of her perspective on all this? Naive. Because uh, mm-hmm. people don't know too much about vampires. And the ones that they are seeing are ones that walk in to the you know place you work at and look like Bill Compton. Are you kidding me? I would be so smitten. And that's the first vampire she's ever met. So, of right. course, you're going to have this one-sided view because you haven't met anybody who... Uh, could cause you any danger you've just met right. this guy who stepped out of a romance novel with this gorgeous accent yeah. um yeah so very naive yeah I, she's incredibly naive but i have to say I, I i really like her journey even in these first four episodes because she does learn that it's not all like you know flowers and roses and sunsets the way she thought but mm-hmm. she still maintains this idea that i think is so important of she's going to judge the individual not the group and right. you really see her wrestling to, you know, at, at to- she gets, starts to romance Bill and she gets drawn into his world and meets some really awful vampires. Mm-hmm. And that freaks her out legitimately. She... Right. It, but I think what she's very clear about what freaks her out isn't these people exist and so Bill must be like them, but that Bill's associating with them. And so is he actually that different? And mm-hmm. I, it's a subtle thing. And, and I, I like it because I feel like what they show her is she's not perfect. She does... Right. Like really try to judge them as individuals, but she also then kind of judges him by association once now she thinks vampires are scary. Yeah. And it was just like kind of combining all the episodes, you know, she almost dies pretty much two or three days in a row after meeting him. So she has these, you know, she's got these feelings of like, I'm very drawn to this person, but I've never experienced because she she's a virgin. She's can't have boyfriends because of you know to, the mind reading yeah. yeah and it's just it's just this little fawn out in the woods and the first person she met was a vampire so i couldn't yeah. even imagine um going through that plus um if we go back to talk about some stuff in the first episode um i guess there's this uh uh i don't know if we want to pivot yet to stuff about the blood and the drugs uh, I think we're going to kind of be – this is kind of we're establishing the show for people. That's what these four episodes were. They were all over the place. So I think we're going to be a little all over the place, and that's fine. Okay. All right. And we can pivot to uh, how vampire blood has become a major drug now because if you, as a human, take vampire blood, it does all kinds of things to you. But right. um, we find out that you can make a lot of money selling it, so these two people try to uh, attack Bill, and Sookie reads their mind, so she goes to save him. And – the conversation that they have after that, um, I mean, they get him down, which is a little strange, and um, with Silver, because Silver definitely works on vampires. Right. Um, she which, frees them. Just a quick aside, I love that because, you know, Sookie says, I thought that was for werewolves. Part of what they're saying is this idea of, like, myths are often based in a little bit of truth, but often as the myth is retold and retold, it changes and evolves. And so I kind of love the idea that, like, silver was dangerous to vampires but then it it just you know people thought silver was dangerous to supernatural creatures and eventually it became as dangerous to to werewolves yeah but sorry go on um i love like 
after she frees him, um, she's talking to him like a person. And he kind of like tests her a little bit with, uh, you know, being like, oh, you have a juicy artery down there that I can get to because she puts the silver chain around her neck. And she's like, you will treat me like the lady that I am. So mm-hmm. she, you know, I like how Sookie's a little tough, but they have conversations about selling the blood. And, you know, she's like, I wouldn't touch it, this and that. And it's interesting to see them creating this relationship because um, they're both not used to he's not used to this whole mainstreaming and being out of the coffin kind of life. And she doesn't know vampires. So it's interesting to see them building this. She's making fun of him. Cause she's like, well, what's your name? He's like, Bill. She's like, Bill. I thought it would be like Antony or something. Yeah. She laughs in his face a lot <laughs> and it's very realistic. I like it. And I, I like it, but I think it also helps remind you that she's not perfect either because there's sometimes where like, if you're looking at vampires as a like marginalized group, there are times where she's like, oh, well, I could invite you in, but I guess that means I can invite you out. You can always be on your best behavior. You have to be on your best behavior. And I was kind of thinking like, if I'm in my wheelchair and someone told me like, well, you better be on your best behavior or I'll pull up the ramp, like that would be awful. And yeah. I, I, what I love is that Suki like Bill likes it and plays along, but there's a couple of moments where she does cross that line and he kind of lets her know and she pulls back, you know, because mm-hmm. I think this is she has it, it's such a perfect like metaphor, honestly, for like, you know, privileged people trying to learn about oppression because she has every good intention and she's doing her best. But she doesn't realize that sometimes like she's acting from that place of privilege and does things that are kind of shitty to a guy who like has been hunted for 150 years. Mm-hmm. It's very true. But let's talk just about the blood a little bit more, because so I think it's kind of a way of talking about how all of humans are are relating to this. You know, I, I love the idea that one of the things that's happened is people have realized that vampire blood is worthwhile. So, like, in this first episode, there are monsters, but the monsters are the humans going after the vampires. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think of, like, the, the way they flip that conceit? Oh, I love it. I feel like they're trying to immediately get you to be sympathetic for the vampire side while... They kind of, within the first four episodes, show you, like, the bad side of them. But you're sitting here with Bill for most of the time, and you just see him as a sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a... I I just... Oh, God, I love it so much. I love how they immediately make you care for the vampires. (laughs) Yeah. They really do. And to say they humanize Bill feels like the totally wrong word. They Mm -hmm. vampireize Bill. I don't know. But I, I think in some ways that's the point, is... We use the word humanize because what we mean is that the more of a human a, care, a person feels like to us, the more we feel like we have to treat them with moral value. And I think from the Ratzingers, the people who try to take his blood, they, they outright say, like, you know, we're not killing a person. He's a vampire. He's mm-hmm. just a thing. He's one of them. And, and that, that language to me gets, gets used again and again by, you know, class groups that are oppressing other groups. It, it just really hit me hard. Yeah. It's a good point. It's... Mm-hmm. The yeah, all the metaphors and the undertones. It's just, mm-hmm. it's in, like it is intense almost. Like the way you just watch, I watch it now so much differently than when I watched it the first time. Mm, how so? Being older and so much more has happened in the last couple of years with civil rights stuff, you know, um, and you're just seeing that this show was trying to get it across in the best way possible by being like, look, we'll use vampires and and characters that you love so much, like Lafayette, who's my favorite character in this Mm -hmm. entire show, almost. And and Lafayette and Tara, Lafayette's definitely my favorite, uh, at least one of them. Mm -hmm. And I think he's another brilliant way of like connecting the metaphors because Lafayette is a black gay man who is not closeted in the slightest. He is you know, swishing and swaying and snapping his fingers and calling everybody queen and lover mm-hmm. and flirting with everything that moves. And there's clearly a lot of hate that he gets in this town and in this restaurant, and he just has no business for it, you know? Nope. When, like, people complain that a gay guy made their burgers, he gets right in their face and he shoves their face in the food and, you know, says, in my house, you, you'll eat my food. And I feel like that's very intentional because they're sort of saying, like, yes, this story is going to be about vampires as the oppressed class but it's happening in a world where there's a lot of other oppressed classes and that's still happening and that's you know this isn't the only issue and all these things overlap Mm -hmm. well that's why i love that scene with tara when him uh lafayette and tara at the bar and uh the the 
the white guy snaps at her and she goes in on him. She's like, you know, my name's Tara and I was named after a plantation. Isn't that cute? And he's like, yeah. He's like, no, it's not. My mom is a bitch because we find out her mom's horrible. But just like the little things like that. I love the two. And they're cousins. Um, I just love when the two of them are together. Which she, I think, is kind of the best example I've ever seen of what happens to a person when like microaggression after microaggression after microaggression. Because that's the kind of like... This poor guy doesn't say a word about her name. Yeah. She just is so used to it. She did. He did snap at her, which was truly shitty and probably racist. But like, she just knows that's what's gonna happen because she's been used to it so many times. Mm-hmm. And I love the way they use her character. And I don't know. This is part of what you were thinking, but this is something that changed for me dramatically since the first time I watched this show. Um, because one of the things that we learn is that um, this is a small town in the South in the in around two thousand. Mm-hmm. Which means that the Confederate legacy is still one that people care about quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And even Sookie's grandmother, who is presented as one of the sweetest, kindest people in the show, and is very much encouraging Sookie to give vampires a chance, you know, she's a secretary of the Descendants of the Glorious Dead. And she mm-hmm. talks about the War of Southern Independence and wanting... And, and it's funny, and, and like, and Tara is outraged by this. There's a scene where she's at a meeting for that, and she sees a Confederate flag, and she mm-hmm. reacts very visibly. And um, we find out that Bill was a slave owner at one point, and like, we're going to learn more about his history. And that yeah, he, he's like, he was, I wasn't, my dad was. <laughs> yeah. And, um. <laughs> but he, but in that first scene, he's not very apologetic about it. I think Tara's very angry about it. Well, she and, says it. She's like, the least he could have done was apologize. Right. Acknowledge it. And I remember when I watched it, and granted, I'm I'm a child of a, uh, my parents are very much not like this, but my grandmother grew up in Texas and she's passed away now. But, you know, she held to the idea that like, you know, she was a descendant of, you know, she would never want to be racist in any way, but she was, uh, you know, the kind of person who was like, yeah, let's, it, it, it is our heritage. And I hope she'd be horrified by the people who the way they use that now and, and even people used it then. But I don't know. She might have been one of the people who's defending it. And I would have had a because I think it's 20 years ago. I didn't think about it in those terms. And that's 100 percent on me. I should have been. But watching this show through very different eyes now, you know, I see the Confederate flag and I have such a different reaction to it. And I hear him talking about being a slave owner mm-hmm. and I have such a different reaction to it. And that's 100 percent on me. Like I should have had. And I think the show is kind of wanting you to push that reaction a bit, which is just one more... Because, again, Bill is being presented to us as such a kind, good person. He rescues Sookie. He defends people. He <laughs> Well, I don't gentlemanly. think he... He didn't own slaves as an adult. Uh, we don't... Uh, I think we don't He know said, that. I didn't, but my father did in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then when we see flashbacks in the future, I don't know. I'll have to keep an eye, but I'm pretty sure he didn't. Right. I, I think he did not personally, but he was part of a family that did. And he doesn't he doesn't say it in a way of like, my father was terrible, but I never he never says like, I wouldn't have owned slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think there's ever any way that he said I think he does later. But for what we're in right now, he doesn't say like slavery was awful. Slavery was terrible. My father was terrible. He just says, I didn't own slaves, but my family did. Right. Uh, which, again, I think is intentional because it's like I think he's also someone who hasn't really thought about he hasn't interacted with human society he became a vampire at the very end of the Civil War. He hasn't interacted mm-hmm. with human society in 150 years. Right. Is it 300 years? Was he 300? Uh, we, uh, the Civil War, uh, he became a vampire in 1865. Okay. At the, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think he was like 30 when it happened. So he's probably born like 1830 or something like that. Oh, so cool. I just want to be a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Live forever. Well, so... And so let's just kind of talk about some of the other human reactions. Uh, and, oh, just to put a cap on that. So I, I think the, the point that they're doing with that, including that, is A, just kind of reminding you of all the other prejudice that exists in this town, but also showing you that, like, the way Suki responds to the prejudice against Bill and the way Tara does, I think is very different intentionally. Because I think Tara is someone who's experienced this in a way Suki never has. And so on some level, you'd kind of want her to be more sympathetic to Bill but I think that she has that real like, no, 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 no. Like, my oppression came in part from you people. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not going to think of you as another oppressed people that I'm going to march for you and you're going to march for me. Right. And I think that's totally fair. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
So let's talk about some of the other ways that uh, humans are reacting to this. We just get a little bit of it, but we do get a... Um, let's talk about uh, Arlene. <laughs> well, I, I was going to talk about the religious stuff first. Okay. Because uh, in that opening, you get a... You drive by a church billboard that says, God hates fangs. Mm-hmm. F-A-N-G-S. Which... You know I, what I'm other word that saying, they're that's meaning. very intentionally <laughs> supposed to be a reference to the same thing that happens if you take the N out of that word, right? Yes. Oh, Yeah. I feel like I feel like the the gay community is mostly what the vampires are are supposed to mean throughout this entire show. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's very true. I think it's very true. Um, though I think that metaphor breaks down when you start to find some of the like vampires who don't want to mainstream and they want to keep draining people and killing people. So it's it's I always want to be careful of that metaphor. But I and, and we can talk about like is that a problem with a metaphor? But I think you're right. That's it's, especially given how much vampires are about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And then it comes full circle by the time we get right. towards the end, and we'll get there. <laughs> and, and, but certainly, yeah, we get the the religions hate the not all people uh, of faith apparently, but like there's a new church that started. I think it's the Church of the Sacred Sun or something, mm-hmm. because the sun kills vampires by uh, the Newland family, right? And and they just they believe vampires are the devil, and uh, and it's because in part uh, the father of the son was killed by vampires. So that's the, the yeah that we they it's not public knowledge, but we assume that it was vampires. It looked like a car accident, I think, right. and it kills the whole family. And uh, everybody knows that that's not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> the so, Nan so Flanagan not- was getting like reamed on TV. Yeah. Uh, so let's not talk about Arlene, because in some ways you have three different waitresses. One waitress who dies very quickly, but then the three other waitresses kind of represent three different perspectives on vampires. We've talked about Suki. Let's talk about um, Arlene, and then we can talk about Maudette and Dawn, because they're kind of the same perspective. Okay. What, what's Arlene's perspective um, Arlene is our racist waitress, like racist against everybody. She, mm-hmm. she, She's adorable in her own way. So you like her, but she says she the way that they wrote her was to be, you know, that racist aunt that you have or somebody who just says the worst things at the worst times. And I think it's so intentional and so it's hard to watch, but it's so fitting. She's very friendly to Lafayette because she works with him. Mm -hmm. And you get a sense that like if anyone ever said like you're racist and homophobic, she's like, no, I love Lafayette. But like, I just I wish more of them were like him. Exactly. Which is funny because he's like every homophobe's worst nightmare in terms of like him being the super flaming, super out there, <laughs> challenging everyone guy. But Mordette's fine with him. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Arlene's fine with him. Mm-hmm. But you can tell like the things she says about him and, and other people in other places. She just is that person who's never challenged her own prejudices. And now she has all of them about um, uh, vampires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... Uh... There's just like the way that this show presents her. It's just that specific person in society. And I think it's just brilliant that they can write Mm -hmm. all of that into one character. And you're like, yep, I know who that is. (laughs) Right. Well, especially because I'm wondering if you got the same sense. One of the things people often talk about with homophobia is that often there's a like sometimes there's a closetedness of like the person who wishes they could act on certain feelings they have but will never let themselves. And so they just hate anybody who does. And like mm-hmm. they have to convince themselves those people are wrong. In the first episode, all the waitresses are kind of like joking with each other. And I forget if it's Dawn or Mordette, uh, but one of them like says, Mordette's yeah, not a waitress. It's Dawn and Arlene. And oh, Zippy. you're right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Mordette has the same feelings as Dawn, but she's not a waitress. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But like Dawn jokes about like, yeah, I vampires are hot. I'd have some fun with them. Mm-hmm. And Arlene is so horrified by this. And it it and we later find out like she's married to this guy who's, you know, he's okay, but like I, I should have get the sense from her that she's very judgmental of these young women having this sexy fun. Mm-hmm. Because she has two she, kids. Yeah, she can't anymore. And so she wants to tear that down so that she doesn't wish she could have it herself, which is such a thing that happens. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny because the um her her boyfriend is Renee. 
Right. Um, and he's an interesting character because he seems like the only one throughout these four episodes who in the town has like any kind of class, which I think is really interesting. Like yeah. when um, a group of men at the table grabs Sookie's ass after she takes their order, like he jumps in. He's like, I want so- I would want someone to take care of my sister that way. Yeah. And we haven't really seen any other characters in this town show much of any good intentions. Right. Sam definitely does some, but he's not the kite to... He'll kind of quietly judge. He won't jump in the middle. Mm-hmm. Sam, I have a lot of feelings about Sam. Yeah, definitely. We should get to that. Uh, and I'll just say about Renee, he's also one more way of playing against stereotype because we know this is set in rural Louisiana and he has the – like if anyone ever saw Cajun Man on Saturday Night Live, like the skit that was kind of making fun of the stereotype <laughs> of the backwoods Louisiana person, which is, you know, again, a kind of shitty classist stereotype – but that's the like there are people who have that accent. I think the, the Cajun accent's so sexy. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think it's gorgeous. But yeah. he has that accent and to me that's very intentional of the guy who speaks in the way that makes you think he's the the least classy person there actually is the one to step up and be like, No, 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 no. We don't handle women like that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um so that let's talk hard. about Dawn, because I think this is a, maybe a position you're going to have some sympathy for. <laughs> um, what, what is kind of Dawn's attitude toward the vampires? Uh, Dawn just wants to have fun. And Dawn is super hot and she knows she's hot. And she was just, uh, you know, experimenting as you do. And mm-hmm. uh, it didn't go so well for her, but we don't exactly know why. We don't know what Dawn, Dawn is murdered. But we don't know who, what, when, where. We just know that she had relationships with a vampire from a bar called Fangtasia, which is my favorite name for a bar ever. There's there's a great line where, for me as a a firm believer in bad puns, I love this. Because Suki gives Bill this look and is like, Fangtasia? And he responds, and the quote is, you have to remember vampires are very old. Puns used to be the highest form of humor. (laughs) <laughs> and I was just like, I don't make dad jokes. I'm just old fashioned and classy. So I love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, what I love is that for both um, both Dawn and even more for Maudette, who's the first person who's murdered, because two people wind up getting murdered by the time uh, we've been through episode four. And um, we, Jason Sackhouse we, is a prime suspect for both. He's Sookie's brother, who we'll, we'll talk about probably in a later episode. And in both, but they make very clear that the attraction was the sexuality. And like mm-hmm. Maudette is... Maudette was getting paid, though. She was doing it for money. She and she also enjoyed it. <laughs> but she definitely enjoyed it. And and what they sew is very much a BDSM scene. Like, she's tied up. She's mm-hmm. helpless. She's being kind of, quote unquote, ravished by the vampire. She's recording it. She's recording it secretly. because she And she, like, you know, says to Jason when they're having sex later, like, do you want to watch it? Because she thinks it's damn hot. And yeah. And this is kind of what, and, and Dawn has the same thing of like, she's like, yeah, it's sexy. It's fun. He bit me. It was dangerous. And what I love about Dawn is she has absolutely no shame about it. And when Jason tries to shame her, she just will not take a moment of his bullshit. She throws mm-hmm. him out of bed in the middle of sex because. Shoots at him. <laughs> yeah. She's just like, look, this is who I am. I like hot sex. Vampires are hot. What the fuck is wrong with that? Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I just loved everything about her for that moment. Yeah, I love like because Jason is just your classic bro, super good looking, super in shape and just like having sex with every woman in town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and she is the only one who has the upper hand kind of in there. I mean, right. I guess that's not true. Maldette kind of did it, too, because he's right. kind of dumb in the cutest way. He's a tropical well, fish. So hot. Yeah. So dumb. He And he's very much the perfect definition of like the. The toxic masculine insecurity, because I think what happens with both Maudette and Dawn is he's horrified these women are sleeping with vampires. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the like, you know, the jock who's been the king of the school. And now the high school football legend. Yeah, the high school football legend in a school where everyone thinks that the high school football player is the sexiest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And now a goth kid shows up and all of a sudden women think that goths (laughs) are sexy and not. And he's like, not only is this person a threat. But in his mind, this person's changing the rules. Mm-hmm. And he's just so... In, and it, in both cases, he feels like he needs to out-vampire the vampires. Mm-hmm. And there's a great scene with Dawn where he basically pretends to be a vampire. Oh, it's so messed up. He's pretending to sexually assault her, but she's kind of like half terrified, half into it. Which I, is very troubling, but I think also kind of like... the Give wish... Like, 
it's so hard to even talk about, but like I understand the where she's coming from and mm-hmm. in the sexuality of it. But then it's real that he was pretending to be it. And it's because I think he is just wildly insecure about the idea of vampires. Mm-hmm. And then he feels his masculinity and his sexuality is now horribly challenged by it. And which is even more messed up about that, what he did there was um, Maudette had already been murdered. And he said that he had murdered himself. He was like, you know, you left him here. I killed Jason. So you see her start to have a little bit of a breakdown. But I mean, I don't know what sex with the vampire is like. So I'm sure that gets in your head. And you could see the the push and pull from her. Like she was horrified yet turned on, which is such an interesting line to to, to hang out on. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because like now compared to Game of Thrones for a second, in one of the complaints that people had about Game of Thrones was that they made a lot of the sex non-consensual. Because they felt like showing uh, a sexual attack was b- better than showing women enjoying the sex, you know? And mm-hmm. I can't ever think of a show that has shown a situation like this where it's like pretty clearly non-consensual, but also she's kind of into it and she's kind of terrified and the terror is turning her on, but it's also horrible. And, you know, I don't think by any means the show is saying like, oh, all women want it because I think it could very clearly have gone that direction. I think, as you kind of said, like, they set this up as close enough to things she's experienced that it's very easy for her to believe that this is either Jason or the vampire she already had sex with. So there's, it's, it's kind of like a gray consent thing happening. Mm-hmm. At least that, that's my take on it. And I want to – please tell me if I'm wrong here because I'm not the, the authority on this by any means. But it feels like they really try hard to show that this is not someone, like, sexualizing assault – this is someone being confused because, like, it could be an assault, but it could not be, and she's getting, and she's into that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I think a hundred percent, you're right. It's a fine line. <laughs> yeah, and it, and for people to start accepting that that line is there, that's step one. Like, yeah. stop shaming it. it. It's it's what's there. Right, and I think that yeah, I mean, like, consensual non-consent is something people talk about in the kink world all the time, and and that's clearly not what's happened here because she hasn't given prior consent uh you know but like but it's it, it's playing that same energy of like that she's turned on by it but mm-hmm. also it's the sort of if it's a game she's very turned on by it but she's not quite sure it's a game and and that's where i think a lot of the real problem mm-hmm. for her comes and then when she finds out it's a game not a game and then it's jason they have wild sex right. so yeah it was it's you know well, yeah it's she, hot. she does she finds out that it was a game i think it's the yeah better, like yeah and uh, well, and that's where if you circle back to what happened with Maldette, Jason really messed that up because he was trying to be like the vampire and choke her right. <laughs> while they were, you know, having sex. And she pretended to pass out and he thought that he might have killed her and he just leaps. Yeah. Which is really messed up. <laughs> yeah. This is a pretty. and it, Yeah. Because it's exactly that. And it's, he runs. It, it's funny because this is something that you do see in like kink worlds where people who have seen things happen online you know like choking a lover like can be very hot for both people if mm-hmm. it is completely consented to and both people know what they're doing right but it like a lot of things like having sex in dangerous places or whatever like it can get very bad very fast and one thing that'll happen is people will kind of be like oh okay well the girl had like my partner has this like super sexy guy or super sexy person who does these things i could do it too and they try to do things that are dangerous and they fuck up and they can cause real harm. Mm-hmm. If you do that, everybody, please don't run away. Don't like, run away. Call an ambulance. Figure out what's going on. Check in. <laughs> Fortunately, Jason Stackhouse's white privilege helped him out there. But like he, the police come and get him because they Maldette had videotaped it. And she wakes up. She laughs. He thinks that he killed her. And he's still saying that in front of the cops like, oh, my God, thank God I didn't kill her. And you're like, wait a minute, Jason. Yeah. You're at the police station saying that you thought that you killed somebody and yet you get to just walk out of there. And yeah. then Dawn gets murdered. And now that's where we leave Jason Stackhouse after episode four is he is now arrested for the, you know, the murder of Dawn. And um, it just doesn't look very good for Jason. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's, it's he's both in trouble because we at this point we think he may well be the murderer and we still don't know. Um, but also, like, even if he's not, like, running away from the situation is just like, no, this is not – that's not like, oh, you're a laughable idiot. That's – you're a pretty terrible person at this yeah, point, Jason Stackhouse. Jason Stackhouse uh, starts out pretty terrible. Plus, how he acts towards Bill, how he acts towards Sookie, 
Yep. Yeah, because it's very much the like, I can be a man slut and sleep with whoever I want, but my <laughs> sister has to be like perfect and pure. Um, mm-hmm. And ignores you know. Tara, who's mm-hmm. been in love with him. Forever. Poor Tara. Well, Jason gets what he deserves by episode three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, after, when he's arrested, he takes the entire vial of uh, vampire blood that he got from Lafayette, who told him to just take a drop and his penis blows up like an eggplant and he has to go get it drained. Yep. Yeah. It's a, a very painful situation to watch. And you, you, know, you have a little sympathy for him, even though it was pretty terrible. And I thought uh, it was a great analogy for like STDs. Yeah. Like it was just like, you know, if you're going to do all this stuff and be, um, what is it? Be, not being safer. Not yeah, safer not being safer like safer sex or even with drug use. Like if you, you know, you OD, which was a very interesting way that he OD'd. And I, I feel like I will say later in the seasons, more people drink a lot of vampire blood and that doesn't happen to them. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why they chose to do that so specifically with Jason, if not to represent some kind of STD. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely supposed to re- represent like yeah, sex, an STI, a sexually transmitted infection, a- and drug addiction. And mm-hmm. certainly, I don't want to give anything away, but in a later season, we will very clearly see people who are addicted to V, and it is a, a literal drug addiction, and how problematic mm-hmm. that can be. Um, so I, I guess. So, oh, we also learned that um, uh, Sookie gets attacked by the people who took Bill, and they almost kill her. And Bill saves her by giving her his blood, which right. we've learned completely will heal you even if you're on the verge of death if you drink vampire blood when you're dying it will heal you and the vampires don't want people to kind of know about that right. i just Which think that's really important like, it doesn't have any of the effects it had like she doesn't have any kind of like swelling or like hallucinations or any of the bad health effects that jason does and i don't know if that, at this point i don't I, just, I don't think we know is that because of like bill didn't want it to have that and he can control it if it's coming from him or because mm-hmm. it only has those things if you're not drinking it straight from the tap, so to speak, or like just inconsistent writing, we're not quite sure yet. But clearly it can have very different effects depending on the context. But what we do find out about it um, is that he now will always know what she's feeling, that he will always know if she's in danger, and that he can kind of track her now that right. she's drank his blood. Which, importantly, he didn't warn her of before she drank. And granted, right. she was near dead. She wasn't really able to be coherent. And you can say like... It's the only way to save her life. It's legit for him to do. But it's interesting that he didn't kind of warn her and she gets a little upset about that. Yeah. Rightfully Uh, so. And that I think brings us to the last kind of ethical issue or at least just showing us another ethical side to a person. Um, So the Ratzingers, the people who had attacked him and then she rescued them, uh, rescued Bill. The Ratzingers now like lure uh, Sookie into an ambush. They're about to kill her and Bill stops them. And Bill's pulling no punches. Now we get to see that like, yeah, vampires are... They can move at supernatural speed. They can punch with incredible strength. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty clear that Ratzinger's are not coming out well from this uh, situation. And then he just, like, basically fakes a tornado attack. Uh, uh, not an attack, but, like, a tornado landing. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and destroys their home and shows, like, leaves their bodies broken in their home. And this also throws Sookie a bit because, and I think it should throw us, because part of what's showing is Bill has no problem killing. And I think we're supposed to think the Ratzingers were already dead because he was killing them in defense of her, but maybe not. Maybe he's just like, you're wounded, but I'm going to kill you now. Mm-hmm. And again, because it's not shown as that makes him evil, but it's shown he's lived completely outside the law and of any kind of human society for 150 years. And in that time, he's lived in a world where if people are a threat, you kill them. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to do. And... That's presented to us not as though it's morally good or that it's morally bad, just that that's his morality and it's different from Sookie's. Mm-hmm. They present it in a way almost like it's protecting Sookie at the same time. Right. And, and himself. He- and they set these people up to seem really evil. So you really don't feel bad about what he did. And then you start to think about it. You're like, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what the show does so well is it's not that it makes us feel good or bad ourselves. It's just that it shows that what he did is perfectly morally justifiable in his world, but Sookie doesn't find it morally justifiable, and the two of them are confused because they each don't understand how the other could see it that way. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's such a great like introduction to what's going to be a theme of all seven seasons of the show of not a, like people have different people can be moral in their own ways with having different moral frameworks and. We might judge someone else's moral framework, but it doesn't mean that they're like, it's a lot more complicated than saying like, I'm moral, he's immoral, I'm good, they're evil. Yeah. 
And well, and then that's like at the end, um, we see Tara's Tara's mom is a vicious drunk. Yeah. And um, she she's been in love with Jason and Jason's going through this thing and he kind of ignores her. So you would think, like, why would she be there to help? But uh, she T- has Tara's in love, not the mother, just to be clear. Yeah, Tara's in love. And Tara starts to remember how Jason would defend her from the drunk mom, like lock her out of the house and be like, go ahead, hit me. What are you you're going to hit me like a little white boy? I dare you. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I just the the ties something about this show that I love so much especially coming from a place where I come from where I don't really have family this show showcases friends as your family better than any other show I've ever watched yeah it's very much about found family and for both of them in really important ways mm-hmm. so I think that's been all I had I want to just close with a quote from the grandmother but then also you go into anything you want to say after we talk about this because um, there's a point at which um, Sookie is really not sure how she feels about vampires. She's met Bill's friends, friends in quotes, but vampires who don't want to go mainstream and they're all very clearly going to kill her and drink her blood until Bill claims her. not that her. Bill can protect her, he has to claim her. I love vampire. the vampire rules. There's obviously a hierarchy and some kind of rules that all these vampires are supposed to follow and kind of do. Right. And, and it's very clear, like, this isn't, this is kind of like, you know, oh, this is my horse, you can't kill my horse, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's not Sookie is a person with agency and we don't kill people, it's you don't kill my property. And again, ownership is something that a lot of people find very erotic and that's clearly part of what's happening there. But Sookie, like, isn't... I think she does have a little bit of that, but mostly she's like, what do you mean I'm claimed? Why shouldn't they just respect that I shouldn't be killed? Because I'm a person. Mm -hmm. Unless she's in danger and then she's immediately like, I'm his. Yeah. (laughs) Smart girl. Yeah, I mean, she's very playful with it. And I think that's, I, I like that she's not perfect. She's not a paragon. She's just another person who's doing her best in a hard world. Mm-hmm. But but so anyway, they're in this moment, she's not sure. She thinks maybe she should stay away from Bill. And, and she's not really sure how she feels about vampires. And uh, her grandmother has already had a great little speech about how she doesn't understand Starbucks. Because in her words, how could someone pay pay $3 for a coffee with too much milk? And I was watching it with my partner who loves Starbucks and was like, $3? What do you mean Starbucks? That's a great deal for Starbucks today. Yeah, I love Starbucks too. But so later, uh, the grand, like, Sookie is saying to her grandmother, like, should I see Bill? You know, why, why would we? She's kind of asking, like, why are these vampires existing? Like, are they evil? Are they terrible? And, and the grandmother says, because we know that she's quite religious, though obviously very different from that horrible church. She says, I just think there's a purpose for everything God makes, whether it's a special ability, meaning Sookie's uh, telepathy, mm-hmm. whether it's a special ability or an overpriced cup of coffee or a vampire. And that's just such a beautiful worldview because she's clearly saying like vampires, are, you know, for centuries, you know, scorpions and snakes are pretty bad for humans. Mm-hmm. But most people are like, but they're part of nature. We need them in some way. And we have to be careful of them and respect them, but they're still, and to religious folks, they say it is they're part of God's creation. Yeah. And the way that she's able to say that whole idea of vampires of like, we don't know yet what the good part of vampires in our society is, but God made them, so there must be one. It's not my theology, but I think that's such, such a beautiful way of approaching the world. Yeah, I love it. And I love that on like the stark opposite side, the religious groups Right. Are, are screaming that, you know, they're children of Satan and blah, blah, blah. And they're, you know, devils incarnate. While someone who is actually religious sees, yeah. you know, sees the building blocks, you know, sees what it is. Like to me, it's a great example of the difference between a religious institution and a person of faith. Mm-hmm. You know? so, so that's my last thing. I, I've been talking quite a lot this episode. What, what about you? Any of the last things you want to touch on? Um. Not so much ethical stuff. Let's turn a little bit of thirst. Sure. Uh, go let's for it. so we meet um, Pam de Belfleur, and mm-hmm. she might be like if I was a vampire, I would want to be just like her. Mm-hmm. Pam oh, is co-owner of Fantasia, and then we meet Sex on a Stag, Eric <laughs> Northman. So I'm not like <sighs> Eric Northman might be my favorite character in this entire show like Lafayette's way up there but I love and it's not just that he's hot like I love everything about him and as we start to get you know farther into him as the like season one's not the greatest with him but I just love we have this like vampire god sitting on this 
chair at this sexy vampire club and we find out he's the sheriff of uh what what where Shreveport. Right. Um so vampires apparently have different powers in their boroughs, which is very fascinating. Um but yeah, Alexander Skarsgard. Ugh. Yeah. For any any of us who uh listen to Ashley and I talk about the stand on episodes of Pandavision. Yes. And you often heard Ashley talk about how, like, he's hot in that, but he's not, like, Eric Northman hot. This mm-hmm. is the pinnacle of, like, Skarsgård hotness that yeah. we're supposed to be shooting for. Season two, because I, I will say I don't know why they gave him a wig in season one. I'm pretty sure it's because that's how he is in the books. He has long flowing hair. Mm-hmm. But when they change it up in season two, you're like, Bill who? Right. <laughs> and that's what I thought was so funny about this, because, like, they... Between episodes one to four, they get you to just, like, swoon over Bill Compton. I don't know what it is about, you know, what they did with him, the lighting. I don't know. But you were just like, yes, Bill, I will be yours. Uh, You don't even have to ask twice. And then they introduce you to Eric Northman. And you're just like, Bill who? (laughs) Yeah. And I will say, like, you know, Team Edward, Team Jacob, again, where does this all come from? Like, Team Eric and Team Bill becomes Mm -hmm. a running thing for the fans through all seven seasons. And... I love it because they show very two very different approaches because Bill is the – on some level, he hates that he's a vampire and he wants to be human and he mm-hmm. has learned ethical things by being with vampires but doesn't like it. Eric has no shame about being a vampire. Yeah, Eric is, is a thousand-year-old Viking. Right. <laughs> but he is also still holding to his version of a moral code. Mm-hmm. And so just like thro- – he doesn't want to be human, but he does want to be moral in his own way. And it's just – it throws everything into so many great directions. Mm-hmm. One of the things I just want to kind of mention as well about the sexuality of it all, because, uh, yeah, there's so much hotness with them. Um, Sookie gets to have a couple of, like, very erotic dreams, which, again, like, today we're more of, but 20 years ago, showing a woman in lust quite that way. And, like, there's a scene of her, like, dreaming with her hand in her pants. Like, mm-hmm. we're clearly, like, showing what she's doing. That was pretty rare. And I love that, like, even for her, like, who's presented as this pure innocent who has thirst and gets horny and gets herself off. And I love that. Me too. Until the cat was looking. It's like, damn you, cat, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one last thing I would say about that also, I'm so glad you brought this up because, yeah, that's another great thing to get into. Because, again, I think it's part of this whole, like, sexuality and, and, and all, gender and all of this. The vampires clearly, like, lust for humans, and they lust for blood, but they also lust for sex. But as far as we can tell, it knows absolutely no gender bounds. Yeah, the vampires, they don't care. They love it all. Which I think makes makes sense, yeah. Yeah, like, if you're no longer caring about, like, if now the part on a person's body you care most about isn't what's between their legs, it's their throat. Like, or if it's between their legs, it's their femoral artery. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, where their dangly bits are doesn't matter to you as much. Mm Mm-mm. Not to mention, and to be very clear, like, biology does not define gender at all. But, like, I think it's also, it, it, it's in terms of, like, the bodies they're attracted to. But also in terms of, like, when you've lived that long, like, petty human concepts, like, you know, homophobia just don't really make sense anymore. Which mm-hmm. I, just, I just love the way they present that. Yeah. Oh, I love this show. Uh, all right. So I think that's what I'm ready to wrap up. Any last things for you? Uh, no, not too much. It's it's so much, so I can't even yeah. like. <laughs> I mean, we could have done a full episode on every episode of the show, um, but then we would be doing this for the next ten years forever. And, yeah, uh, we're both part of so many other podcasts. We just don't have the chance to do this. But uh, thank you so much, Ashley. Uh, tell a little bit about some of the other stuff you're doing right now. Um, we have what's going on right now? Uh, trivia every Wednesdays on Twitch, Stranded Pandas slash TV. Pretty sure. Um, and then we have uh, MCU cast on Monday with feedback and reviews. Right now we're talking about What If, Shang-Chi, and the Spider-Man trailers. Um, a lot of stuff going on over there. Uh, and that's that's about it. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check all that out. Ashley, I so love when you're on podcasts, especially the podcast with me. But even like when I'm not mm-hmm. on it, you bring such great perspective. I can't wait to hear you talk about like Top Gun and some of the things you're going to be doing soon. Oh, thanks. Uh, and for myself, of course, uh, folks, if you, you can always check out all the other stuff we do here on Superhero Ethics, as well as my other podcast, uh, the Stranded pa- uh, the Sorry, my other podcast, the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> That's one I just talked about. My other podcast is the Star Wars Universe Podcast. 
I'm recording this on Yom Kippur. It's almost sundown. I've been fasting for 24 hours, so forgive me that I'm a little uh, lightheaded, uh, which, by the way, also, if you fast, I'm at a point now where I'm going to eat. Don't. It is about sundown, too, but like I'm not trying to endorse, like, fast till you're lightheaded. That's awesome. No. <laughs> but uh, back to the point. Uh, so you can check out both of my podcasts. I'm also now uh, co-hosting a podcast on the Next Real Podcast Network called The Marvel Movie Minute, where we're literally breaking down the movie Thor minute by minute. Uh, <laughs> Ashley's been a guest on it. You were fantastic. It was so fun. We got to go into depth about like the problems with the wig and the eyebrows uh, <laughs> of Thor in that first movie. Uh, Jeff Randall's been a guest. Matt Carroll's going to be a guest. Will Freeland's been a guest. So many people have been on this podcast. And if there's anyone on the Stranded Panda Network, they'll be there. So please check out theethicalpanda.com. Check out strandedpanda.com. Check out marvelmovieminute.com. And of course, it's still September. Write us those reviews. If you write a five-star review for this podcast, for uh, Superhero Ethics, or for any of the Stranded Panda podcasts, you get entered into a contest to win a uh, Oculus 2 virtual reality or uh, uh, a Nintendo Switch, which uh, both wonderful things. All you have to do is write a five-star <laughs> review. You know, say something about the show. Don't just say I'm doing this for the, uh, the Oculus or whatever. But if you do that, it, it helps our podcast, helps us grow, and gives you a chance to win. So please let us know what you think. Uh, but also, especially give us your feedback. You know, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, at The Ethical Panda. Just search for, or you can email theethicalpanda at gmail.com or go to that website, theethicalpanda.com. This is something new we're trying here in terms of uh, Panda After Hours, uh, ethical, ethical After Dark. Let us know what you think. Do you love this idea? Do you hate it? Do you, do you want us to talk more about the show? Do you want us to lay off the sex and talk about other things? In which we just can't talk about the show then. But we'll just, yeah. you know, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from all of you. And um, what often happens when I say something like that is the two people who hate it will write in. And everybody who loves it won't because they don't think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. If you do love this, please let us know. Because we're trying something kind of new and daring and want to make sure this is what you want. And, but if it's not, then of course let us know that too. So Ashley, thank you so much to all of our fans. Thank you all so much. And have a good day. Bye.